Welcome into episode 17 of the 2020 Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you. Um, post Notre Dame game, post Clemson, Ohio State, heading to Alabama and uh, Ohio State playing for the national championship on Monday, January the 11th, hopefully. Um, remember about some COVID issues going around with Ohio State. But, uh, guys, let's start with this Notre Dame game. Alabama wins 31-14. to The game was over early. Um, Nick Saban kind of stopped the bleeding himself, as he as he likes to do. And, and I'm going to turn it over to Lester first. Lester, let's just go ahead and get this rant out of the way. Everybody loves your rants. So, Lester is very, very upset. I'll give you a little preface. Lester is very upset that Alabama, you can say they sat on the ball at the end of the first half. Nick Saban knew he was getting the ball to start the second half. You know, they run some kind of little dumb reverse that lost yardage. And, you know, they kind of, you know, Devonta Smith proved early that he can just run by everybody on the field. I mean, they could just throw a deep all day if they wanted to. And they could score just about every play. I think JLL had some kind of stat where we scored – you know, so many points per play. And so it was just, it was just ridiculous what Alabama was able to do in the first through one and a half quarters, basically. But um, Lester, Nick Saban kind of sits in the ball. He knew the game was over. He knew Notre Dame was pretty much incapable of scoring. They have an incompetent passing game. They weren't getting anything done on the ground consistently. You know, they didn't, they weren't getting any big chunk plays. They had that one long drive. So tell me what you think about this game. It was in our group text that this podcast is named after, the Gunt Runners text. There are receipts. I texted y'all exactly what was going to happen. What It was about, what, uh, eight minutes ago, seven, eight minutes ago and a half, something like that. I said, look, offense is about to look completely different than what it has all game long, all season long. They're not going to be dumb anymore. Eventually, it's gonna the drive is gonna end in a punt with what a minute or two left on the clock, maybe less than that, and and it, it happened the, the exact same thing. It happened. I predicted the future. I'm not a fortune teller, but Nick Saban was as predictable as he was there, and it was so frustrating. This is a playoff game, a playoff game against the number four team in the country. Why are you taking your foot off the gas? Before the half, the game is not out of touch. I don't care who you have at quarterback, wide receiver, running back, who your offensive lineman is. It does not matter. The game is not out of touch yet. But, hey, they're the number four team in the country for a reason. Why are we taking that foot? Why are we not scoring? Look, look, look. You can, you can stop. You can slow the ball down. You can go to the Maryland eye. But do not come out here on some silly, stupid reverse to your Hassan Trophy candidate. No, 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 don't do that. Drive the ball down the field. Chew up all the clock you want to, but do not stutter Sark and that offense to the point where they have to punt the football. No, 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 absolutely not. You can run the Maryland eye. You can run eye formation. You can run a goal line from 20, from the opposing 20-yard line until you score, but do not stop that offense from scoring a touchdown. That is what he did. He, He hates it. No, no, no. Everybody else hates it. Saban's probably giggling his ass all the way to the locker room when that happened. You know he was. You know it. We all know it. And this is coming. I, I don't. I don't gamble, but I wasn't the only one that was upset <laughs> because there was a lot of people who took oh, yeah. over. <laughs> they were going in on his tail, but that that just chewed me up to no end. This is coming from a guy who 
when he plays you in NCAA 14, he puts on two clock and gets in the Maryland eye, three yards in a cloud of dust, turns a five-minute a five quarter game into about three or four minutes and just tries to beat you 10 to 7, you know, while you're airing it out and <laughs> throwing it. You know, Lester's going to wear your defense down now. You know, he wants Alabama to score. So, I mean, but Lester, don't don't you think that, you know, it might have, you know, we well, yeah, dude, Notre Dame, Notre Dame was not scoring on Alabama if, if they didn't want them to. I mean, the, the touchdown late, I mean, that's against a prevent defense. The game was over. It was 31 to 7, um, you know. The fat lady was singing, so to speak. And so, I mean, don't you agree that, you know, you don't show as much as you need to? Bro, you don't have to, you don't have to show anything. Run Just the run same stuff. stuff. You, run, one, one run what he's been running. You can chew all the clock that you want to, but don't do this Mickey Mouse crap and punt the ball. That is so unnecessary. Why you do you think run. he does this? Why, why do you know. think this happens? I have no idea. I don't know. I think I. I don't know. It's 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 weird. It's very predictable. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Let's say they with the mob somehow. Um, I don't. <laughs> know. Had, I, you know, I, I can't explain it. Jayla, let's bring you in. Tell me what you thought about this game. You don't necessarily have to rant about sitting on the ball because I mean we were all upset with it at the time. You know, I mean, you're watching the game. You might have some some alcoholic beverages in you. You know, of course, you know, you just want to stomp Notre Dame in the ground. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a historic rivalry. It's a helmet game. Um, two great tradition-rich programs. Um, and, and so, you, of course, you want to beat them by 40 points because, you, you know, as fans, you just want to embarrass everybody you play. But looking back on it, rewatching the game, I don't really see a problem with it. Um, JL, just tell me, tell me what you thought about the Alabama performance as a whole. Well, guys, the uh, first thing Nick Saban says after the game was, um, "Well, we try to take the air out of the game. We couldn't do it, but you know, I guess there's always something I'm not going to be happy about." Nick Saban's looking for something to coach. If in Saban's mind, if we're not dominant enough to just run the football, we want to run the football, then we're not good enough. So Saban's taking things to the locker room, getting. Uh, some coaching up, but you also, I've talked to some other people. What does it, what does it matter if you run the score up on Notre Dame? You still got to play Ohio State or Clemson. At that point, you didn't know who won the next game. It doesn't matter. You win and you're in. Style points, doesn't, none of that stuff even matters anymore. The game was over, and my stat was Alabama scored 21 points on its first 18 plays. They put together a 97-yard five-play touchdown drive in two minutes and 57 seconds. I mean, the game was over. Three drives, three touchdowns on 18 plays, and then they scored 10 the rest of the game. Um, I'm kind of, I'm not with, I'm with Lester or not. I'm okay with doing what we did, but why are you going to do what you did and leave, and leave guys like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and the rest of them on the field for three and a half quarters if you're just showing everybody that you're tanking it for the rest of the game? We're going to go into the locker room and uh, get ready for the next one. But overall, physically dominant. I thought Chris Owens did a pretty good job, which was the, the key for, I think, a lot of us Bama fans were looking at how would you do without Dickerson. But to Owens, I think he missed on a couple to be expected. Reps are the most important. I think mental reps, game reps are the most important for him right now just to be able to see it. Mac Jones was dialed in. Devontae was dialed in. I was just so impressed with Notre Dame comes out. They tell you all week they're going to throw to the tight ends. They tell you all week they want to throw to the running back. They want to grind the game out. They want to play their game. And guess what? They did it. 
Alabama only ran 55 plays. They shortened the game. They turned it into a two-quarter game as opposed to a four-quarter game because Alabama has come really close to running 85, 90 plays almost every single game this year. Notre Dame made Alabama run 55 plays. They scored 31 points, and a lot of those points came in the first quarter and it will first, what, 20 minutes of the football game. That's how dominant Alabama was. Notre Dame executed about as good as they could execute, and Alabama still is up 31-7 to with five minutes to go in the ballgame. Yeah, it shows you just the talent mismatch that Notre Dame um, was facing in that game. I mean, just every position they were outnumbered. Um, and, and, you know, out-talented out Alabama just, as you saw from the award show, Alabama just – loaded especially on the offensive side of the ball so um looking at this game just can you make a point either way about whether Notre Dame should have been in or not do you think after watching the game against Alabama do you think maybe Texas A&M would have put up a better fight I mean I think no I'm sorry Lester I think Notre Dame put on the same fight that Texas A&M did earlier it's just a different fashion I mean people always I mean, is is twenty eight to seven sexier than forty nine to seventeen or twenty one? It just depends on how you want to lose to Alabama at this point, right? We've seen Arkansas try to do it, Notre Dame, A and M, up and down the field, slow it down. Doesn't matter. How do you want to lose? I thought they both kind of played the same game. A and M clearly has a much better offense and a much better quarterback, in my opinion, with Kellen Mond. But that game could have been fifty two to twenty one or twenty four, whatever it was against A and M the first time. Or thirty-one to seven with Nick Saban taking his foot off the gas and Notre Dame scoring one late. Both of you guys predicted the Clemson Ohio State game to be closer than the point spread. I believe it closed at about about six and a half, maybe seven, seven and a half. Can't remember exactly where it was, but it was around the six or seven, eight point range. I thought that Clemson would score to pull away late. My gosh, at the end of that game, Clemson Clemson was just trying to score, and they were just scoring to try to make it two touchdowns. Um, Ohio State came out, you know, as as a player, I always thought the emotion kind of faded after maybe two drives. I thought you could play emotional for about two drives, and then, you know, the game settles in, and, you know, you're playing off of adrenaline, and you're trying to stay focused in the moment. You're not really thinking about what happened last year, what the coach said about your team the week before where he ranked you or whatever, but it seemed like Ohio state was able to channel that emotion that they had leading into the game with Dabo running his mouth and with Clemson beating them in the great game that they gave us in 2019. It seemed like they were able to channel that emotion for four quarters and the performance that Justin Fields has had after getting looked like he broke his ribs. Um, James Gowski ejected for targeting in the second quarter, I believe, after a huge hit on Justin Fields. Fields goes in the tent. They see, he said they gave him a couple of shots, and then he went back out there and um, just, to, just stood in the pocket, delivered some big-time throws downfield. Ohio State dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. I mean, they just dominated all aspects of the game. Um, 49-28 win, wrapped up over – or 49-28 win – Racked up over 600 yards of offense against a Clemson team that's, you know, known for having a great defensive coordinator. Their guys always seem to be in the right spot at the right time. But, you know, two years in a row in the playoff, LSU doing it last year and Ohio State doing it this year, that Clemson's gotten 
exposed on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary. Um, Lester, tell me a little bit about what you saw in this game from Ohio State and what makes him so dangerous. I mean, if you look at the recruiting classes the past couple of years, Alabama, Ohio State, consistently in the top five, maybe two, three, four. I mean, they're always there together, and it shows. Um, we've talked about this a lot uh, in the past. Clemson and their defensive players, they're never loaded at all three levels of the field. They have they have a great defensive line. They have a really good linebacker here and there. But they're always lacking somewhere, and their secondary was exposed. Fields and Olav, or however you pronounce that guy's name, they were giving Nolan Turner and company fits all game long. And, I mean, it's much different when your offense controls the game. When Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, they're scoring every other drive and they're racking up points, it's real, real easy to play defense then. It's real easy to sit back and try to work for the other team to attempt to catch up. But we're in a dogfight? No, yeah. the, game, the game is completely different. It's different. And Venables, this defensive mastermind, well, he's only a defensive mastermind when his offense and his team, when they're up, when they're up big. Other than that, the guy's kind of average to me. Yeah, and, you know, Ryan Day accused um, Clemson of, of sign-stealing, you know, before the game, and you saw Ohio State huddling a lot more than they usually do, you know, trying to get in plays, you know, in tight and then breaking out, maybe motioning or changing some stuff at the line of scrimmage. Um, but I, I got, a, got a serious question. Okay, Clemson has won two national championships, am I right? They've been – to the playoff, is it every year since 2015? Yeah, they haven't missed it since that year, since right. the first one. And so, uh, how, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound – how does Nolan Turner start as safety for a team like that? I just want to know. I mean, Nolan Turner, I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad football player, but this is a guy – and, you know, for those that don't know, he was given a scholarship because – Kevin Turner, his dad, played with Dabo Sweeney at Alabama. Um, and so he, he gives Turner – I guess he's from Vestavia. I don't know where he's from. One of those uh, Birmingham schools. And this dude has started at safety for Clemson like the last two or three years. And, you know, he had the big interception in the, in, to seal the game last year against Ohio State. He picked off Justin Fields in the end zone. The receiver went the wrong way, and he made a good play on the ball. But, man – it's it's crazy how Dabo and Brent Venables have guys like that that start on the defense. Um, you know, even guys like James Gowsey, guys that look like they can't move in space at all. I think Brent Venables' son plays like in a backup linebacker role or something like that. I mean, it's just crazy how he's doing this with these four and five stars that these guys are playing over. I mean, Clemson's up there in recruiting. They're not finishing one or two, but they're up there in the top five, it seems like, every year especially the last couple of years in recruiting. But, I mean, you know, Nolan Turner, he was suspended for the first half for because of a targeting penalty that he got the game before. And then he comes in and immediately gets smoked on a deep ball. Um, me and my buddy were talking about it while we were watching the game because he knows Nolan personally. I don't. But um, it's just – if whenever, whenever you're starting guys like that on defense – like, 
do you think Ohio State planned to attack that, J-Law, or, or do you think this is something that just happened and they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Listen, you see Nolan Turner out there. I and Listen, he's a much better athlete than I could ever think about being, so let's preface this, but we all got to realize that. I don't know. I've seen you shoot a basketball. I'm just I, saying. I, I could shoot it a little bit. You're you still fill it up. Yeah. But yeah, I'll set you a screen. Yeah. <laughs> he, You have Justin Fields, who – a lot of people are after the game, and it's, a, it's a, just a too soon reaction. We're saying they may take Justin Fields before Trevor Lawrence. I wouldn't, but I mean Justin Fields is the second, probably the second, third best quarterback, maybe first best quarterback in college football this year. You got weapons, you have good tight ends, you have a dominant running game with Sermon, which means the safeties are playing up, and you're looking at a guy who probably when he flips his hips is gonna get beat every time. And they threw a couple of deep balls at him, gets burned on all of him. All of them, and I don't know about you guys. I watch Brent Venables. Listen, he gets burned by good offenses just like everybody else. He he has every single time, whether it's Alabama, whether it's LSU. It doesn't matter. He's won some games like that. He's lost some games like that. But there, he's getting beat just like every other good defensive coordinator out there. To me, Brent Venables, he shut down Alabama's offense with Tua. And it's the same year Trevor Lawrence won the Natty. It's the year, that year Trevor, Trevor Lawrence was a freshman. And we're all of a sudden supposed to believe that Trevor Lawrence is the best to ever do it and Brent Venables is the best defensive coordinator in the game. And I'm, I'm, I'm like watching them a lot, and I'm thinking, dude, Brent Venables has given up 40 just like Pete Golding is. I mean, what's so special? And then if you look at their recruiting guys, man, they don't consistently recruit top five. Every third year, Clemson's fourth or fifth in the country in recruit. They had a really solid year, I think, two years ago where they were pushing for the number one spot. And I think Georgia ended up taking that one. But they don't consistently cr- recruit top five. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, those schools do. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think we went into the bowl season scared of Clemson. And we probably should have been scared of Ohio State after the ACC went 0-6 in, in bowl season. And, you know, looking at Ohio State, J-Law, I want to get your opinion real quick on this. Is when, when you watch the game against Clemson and you see how well they played in all phases, they, you know, like I said, they dominated up front. They ran the ball great. They threw downfield, you know, Justin Fields, probably the best game that he's had in college. And then you watch him against Indiana and Northwestern and you watch him in the regular season. They just don't look great. Their secondary looks suspect. You know, they didn't really stop the run very well. Um, it just seems like, they were just kind of going through the motion, so to speak. And, you know, we figured them playing a shorter schedule, they needed to make an impression on the scoreboard. You know, a lot like we talked about with Texas A&M, and that probably hurt them in getting that fourth spot. But with Ohio State, just because of one game, do you think that this is the Ohio State that you're going to get against Alabama on Monday? Or – is it, I'm not saying you're going to get the Northwestern Ohio State because if that's the case, Alabama win, might win by 40 points. But do you think Ohio State is as good as they were against Clemson? Do you think that's who they are? Or do you think they just played out of their mind and they can't replicate that success? I'm not going to say they can't replicate it because I've seen it on the field. We know that they are capable of doing it. But can you do it twice? That's going to be that's you know that remains to be seen. That's tough to do what they did. They've had last year's score of the playoff game against Clemson on the TVs, printed on the billboards in their locker room. That's all they've thought about since last, I guess, last 
two Decembers ago now. That game, I think, was before New Year's. But And then I watched Ryan Day and these players for Ohio State after the game, and they're crying. They're hugging their families. They're getting Gatorade showers. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching it thinking, this really might have been the one that they were looking forward to. And you look at Alabama on the same day, they're even killed. They're not blowing Notre Dame out, but they're physically dominant the whole game. And Alabama, I think, is one of the reasons why I, I think that they cannot push this game back or postpone is because they're mentally getting in that zone, ready to turn it on for Monday night because there's a lot of guys back for Bama that uh, this is why they came back. All these guys from Ohio State may have come back to beat Clemson. Alabama's here to win the national championship. So uh, I think they can do it. I don't know. I, they're, they're capable of it. Can they do it? Uh, I guess we'll figure out. I guess we'll figure out on the 11th. Yeah, you know, Alabama plays the early game, and they get to watch um, Clemson and Ohio State play. Um, and, and you know, Saturday morning, they're breaking down, well, probably Friday night, they're breaking down film of that game and breaking down all Ohio State film. Um, the players are coming in Saturday. They're watching film on it. Lester, how long do you think Ohio State's team celebrated this victory? I mean, because what J-Law was talking about, they were getting crazy in the locker room, and, you know, their fans are acting the same way. They're just going crazy. It seemed like this was a small national championship for them. I'm not saying they're not going to be ready to play, but do you, I, mean, I think it's possible that they could have, you know, celebrated this win all day Saturday, maybe a little bit into Sunday before they really started focusing on Alabama. Oh, absolutely. Um, piggybacking on what J-Law said, what Ryan Day said in the locker room after the game, I mean, those guys were – they were fired up. They were they were on an emotional high that a team maybe has once or twice a year. You know, the thing with Ohio State, are they going to be able to replicate those same emotions? You know, I know it's the next championship in this – you know, this is the next championship, the last game of the year – this may be the last time you sit up for for Ohio State or or whatever, but coming down off that high, are they going to be able to get up again and come out with the same fire? I mean, that remains to be seen. Um, I believe that is that is a big part of the game, and Alabama is just going to be all business all the time, and those guys are going to be up and ready to go for that game, especially if they get their guy Waddle back. It's going to be, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge, and it's going to be something to uh, keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, let's go ahead, and that's a good segue into the the Jalen Waddle segment of this podcast because that's the big news, you know, other than the awards that Alabama won. Um, but Jalen Waddle's health and his ability to perhaps play in this game. Nick Saban said he's a game-time decision. I'm going to tell you right now, he's not practicing if he's not going to play. I mean, the guy's a surefire top 10 pick, or, I mean, top mid, mid top to mid-first-round pick. Um, he's He's got nothing else to prove. He's got plenty of tape. Um, everybody knows, you know, the electricity that he brings to a team, you know, whether it's in the return game or as a deep ball threat, or as a guy that can catch a screen and turn it into an easy 60, 70-yard game. So he's got nothing else to prove. But the fact that he's practicing, and, you know, Nick Saban's trying to sit here and tell us that, you know, it's up to his his family and it's up to him whether he wants to play. He's going to play in the game. Now, how many plays he gets, how many snaps he gets, uh, that remains to be seen. But as far as playing in the game, Jalen Waddle's going to play in this game. 
J-Law, tell us the impact just as a defense trying to prep. I mean, Ohio State basically has to prep that Jalen's going like Jalen's going to play in the game, right? So tell me, tell me what changes when when you go from all these award winners you have to face, and now you add a guy who's just as electric, if not more electric, than Devonta Smith. Well, you know, when Waddle went out, everybody's saying, well, now they can focus on six, worry about eight a little bit, and uh, you maybe could stop the South Bama defense. I mean, South Bama offense, well, six goes out and wins a Heisman. 19 shows up at a tight end spot. He can block, can go out and catch passes, make some acrobatic uh, catches. Like um, like we saw against Notre Dame, if you're a defense now, what do you do? You have to ask yourself, there's no way we're going, man. You can't double them both. Now, you can shade both with a safety. Then you leave the middle of the field open, potentially, if the, both of those guys are on the outside. Like, What is your game plan? I think if you're Notre Dame, you probably fixated on what the last four or five, four, five games that Alabama's played. And then moving into this one, now you're going back to week one, two, three, and four, looking what Alabama did against – with Jalen Waddle and trying to find out what those defenses did. Um, even the best defense we probably played all year in Georgia had no answer for us. I mean, what do you do? Do you go three, you go three high safeties and just hope nobody gets behind you and let Mac Jones throw it to Najee Harris and, and Billingsley underneath all day. Like I, I don't have the answer for it. I know. I don't know how you scheme for it. I think, do you bring pressure and just hope to God Mac doesn't get the ball out of his hands because you got, it's not, it's not just 17 Lester. It's six. 17, 8, 19. They love to throw to 87 for some reason. They love throwing it to Najee. It's not just, all right, let's stop 6 and 17. What Sark has been able to do without Jalen Waddle is, um, is just impressive. You won 6 a Heisman. And now you, if you're, from a defensive perspective, take, what is your answer? I, think you, I, th- I just think it's death by however you choose to die. I'm not sure there's any stopping it. I really don't think. I don't think there is. Not at all. Pick your poison. It is literally pick your poison. I think this would be a good game. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a little prediction here. I think this would be a good game for 19. He may be that breakout guy. Billingsley. I'd love to see that guy. Bro, I thought about that today. Oh my gosh, I thought about the same thing. Athletic. I know. I I I made another point before you got to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, you Billingsley, I've you know he's he's kind of been like how do you describe it? I guess since the holiday season, it's kind of like the present that you kind of see, can't really play with it yet, but you know it's there. That's Billingsley. He's there. He's like almost like a secret weapon, and I think that that guy's going to come out and um, have a big game, maybe similar to the game that O.J. Howard had a couple years ago. Well, I mean, if he's in – real quick on Jaleel, if he's in another offense, you know, that doesn't have med- – if he's not a – third or fourth option, basically, in another offense, if he's the number one guy, he looks like Kyle Pitts. I'm not saying he is Kyle Pitts, but his build and athleticism, I mean, he's returning kicks for a reason. We don't agree with it because I think it's stupid because you have way more, you have way faster players on the sidelines, um, and it's not near as hard to catch a kickoff as it is a punt. So you have other guys back there that are faster and, you know, have better hips and quicker, have better acceleration. But, I mean, he's back there returning kicks because Saban likes his athleticism. And so, I mean, he, he looks and, and plays like Kyle Pitts, and he just doesn't have to do as much. And so I think if he was in, in another offense, if he was a number one guy, I mean, he'd be one of the best tight ends in the country. 
I 100 percent agree with that. His athleticism, his speed, he can beat any linebacker that lines up on him. So that guy is a real threat. Yeah. Um, staying on, on Jalen Waddle, we had a a listener send us a, a question on Twitter, and um, you know, if you're listening to this, if you want to ever send us questions on Twitter, you know, if you if you know us and you want to text us, go ahead, ask us ask us a question to talk about on the podcast, and we'll do it. Um, we don't really advertise that a lot, but Sure, you know, we'll talk about anything you want us to. You know, he kind of has the mindset that maybe Waddle coming back could potentially hurt the offense um, and throw off their rhythm if they try to force the ball to him. Lester, what's your opinion on that? Do you think if you think that would be a case if Waddle came back and say Saban was like, you know, he's on a pitch count, he's only going to play 30 snaps? Do you think that Mac would try to make or Sark would try to make it a point to run plays designed specifically for him and the defense could pick up on that? I don't think so. I don't think that him coming back is gonna throw the offense out of sync. Um the only person who can truly derail his offense is the head coach Nick Saban. Um but Jabs. I do not think I don't I don't I don't think that Waddle coming back would sabotage the offense. Believe it or not, him coming back could enhance it. Look. Saban's not going to play somebody who is not prepared and fully ready to play the game of football. He, I, I don't, I don't think he'd do that. Waddle, if Waddle is going to be in the game, if he's going to suit up, he's going to suit up for a reason, and that is to make plays and score touchdowns. So if he plays in the game, I look for him to be a real factor, despite if he's on the pitch gun or not. JL, what do you think about that? Do you think? I mean, what do, what do you think? You think it hurts or helps the offense, or just stays the same? I mean, I don't think it can hurt the offense, right, man? Mac Jones is so good. He's not a first-read guy. He's not Bo Nix, like, oh, man, uh, Williams isn't there. Let me roll to my right and either get sacked or throw it out of bounds and live for a second and ten. He makes progressions. So, I mean, if six is – if six is – there's a lot of plays that were 17 was first read when he was healthy. It just so happened he was open and Mac was able to let it go for him. Um, who comes out of the game – like, who – the question is, is how healthy is he and is 85% Jalen Waddle better than 100% John Mechie? Because I still think John Mechie's really good. Six has just turned it on so much. And Mechie, Mechie's been clutch for us this year, too. He scored some big touchdowns against Georgia, A&M. I mean, it's, uh, Auburn, he's been really good for us. So who gets – who – somebody has to leave the field, right? I mean, you can't have 87, 19, 22. It's Slade. Well, yes. I mean, yes, Slade will be gone, but doubt – since they really put Billingsley in, I mean, they you can't we can run six guys down the field. So I mean, it's kind of like who is that guy? It might it might be Billingsley just because eighty seven is so useful in the run game blocking wise. You know, you you can't really sub Jaleel in whenever you're going to throw the ball. You know, defense will pick up on that quick. And uh, but yeah, when they run those three receiver sets, one tight end, I think you know you're going to find nineteen on the sidelines, which is. I mean, it's fine with me. As good as Jaleel is, Jalen Waddle's better. And yes, an 85% Jalen Waddle is better than Jaleel Billingsley. And it's just what it does for a defense. Because, I mean, Ohio State, I guess, when did word first surface that it was rumored that Jalen could be back? Was it Monday? Monday or Tuesday? And then, you know, Nick Saban confirmed it the, the following day in his press conference. And so you've already had two or three days of prep if you're Ohio State staff as far as film study. And now you throw out everything. you got to go back and find all the Georgia and Texas A&M film that you can. 
And yeah, those are two top teams that Alabama played. The only way, you know, regarding the question that we were asked on Twitter, the only way I could see it hurting the offense is, and this did happen early in the year, Mac Jones kind of would throw the deep ball no matter what. You know, he didn't care if it was two guys down there. Um, he was going to throw it up, and, and most of the time that was to Jalen. So that would be the only reason I would see the offense being in trouble is if if Matt got too greedy with the deep ball, which he's done a much better job of that the last five or six games. Um, but it seemed like the first four or five games he would uh, he would he was getting a little bit too aggressive with the deep ball. And if you throw into double coverage downfield against Ohio State, they have the dudes back there that's going to make a play on the ball and they're going to inter- intercept it. So. That could lead to some turnovers and some unnecessary turnovers, unless it's third and 15. Um, so that would be a, a, a way that it would hurt the offense. But I think overall, just I think it helps the entire offense and the team just because of the preparation that Ohio State has to now spend on Jalen Waddell. Because this isn't a guy like John Mechie, who's a good, solid receiver. This is an elite wideout. And as far as him being ready to go, he knows what's at stake. He's had people tell him, I'm sure, hey, man, look, you don't need to play. The, you know, your career is set. You don't have anything else to prove. He just wants to go out and play with his boys one last time. And so I don't think that he would play at 80, 85 percent. I really don't. I think that if, if the, only re, the only way he would play is if he can 100 percent go because he knows the risk. I mean, if he, I'm not saying that if he rolls it up again or breaks it again – that he's going to hurt his draft stop because, like I said earlier, I think he's proven enough. But I don't think he would be practicing if there was any doubt in his mind that he was going to go out there and re-injure the same leg. Um, But as far as the date of the national championship game, it's set for Monday. There's some rumors going around about Ohio State with their COVID problems again. For I think the third, third or fourth time this year, Ohio State just can't seem to get out of COVID's way. It just seems to find Ohio State wherever they're at. I'm sure they're just, you know, going to the facility and going home, and they just don't know how they get it. But uh, I think the the Michigan State game was canceled, I believe. Then Ryan Day got it, and then they were down like 19 players against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. And now there's rumors that their D-line is wiped out by COVID. There's another rumor that it was their offensive line and then a kicker. Um, I'm not sure if anybody really knows. Ryan Day said on Thursday that, you know, in in a press conference that they they had plenty of players and that the game was scheduled to be played um, on Monday the 11th. J-Law, tell me what you think about this COVID situation going on with Ohio State and, and, you know, if it was to be pushed back, talk about how devastating that would be to Alabama. Let me just say this. We don't care about Ohio State's COVID. It's time to strap it up and play. Our boy Drew has tickets. He's done booked his flights. He's got his hotel. It's time, it's time to get to Miami. I don't care. I, just, I don't care. How is Alabama, Auburn, and all these other teams either had no instances of COVID no major breakouts or just one? Like, why does this keep happening to Ohio State in a conference that has the strictest COVID rules? How, why does this keep happening to one of the premier football programs in the country? Are they not a, re- a well-run organization? Um, like, either catch it all at one time or do what you need to do. Are you not cleaning correctly? To me, it's 
show up and play. If you got 52 guys, you need to come out and play because this game, I, and people say, well, you're saying that because Steve Sarkeesian may not be there for the next one. Well, listen, it's, Alabama's done its job. Alabama has done what they are supposed to do for 10 regular season games, an SEC championship game, a college football playoff. They have coached games without coaches. Nick Saban's missed games. Roach and I think uh, Charles Kelly have missed games. People have missed games, but these dudes, they got to show up, either play or forfeit. Uh, I, I just don't think Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood and maybe Holman Wiggins are going to be in Tuscaloosa on Tuesday the 12th. We got to line up on the field. It's time to go. Bama's getting emotionally ready. They're getting mentally ready. We're planning on playing the game on the 11th. And this can only help Ohio State, right? Even if they do have COVID, even or if it's a Justin Fields cover-up, this only helps them in no way, shape, form, or fashion does a postponement help Alabama. It's only detrimental to an Alabama chance of winning the game. Do you think it's legit? Do you think they actually have COVID issues, or do you think it is a cover-up to um, to get Justin Fields ready? Because, I mean, I, I don't – I don't know if he's even practiced. I mean, how much can you do if you've got broken ribs and it's on its right side too? I mean, they, they you cannot risk re-aggravating those things in, in practice. And so I'm not really sure how much he's been even able to do at practice. So do you think it's a legit COVID situation? Do you think it's a cover-up just to get Justin Fields healthy? I think it's a little bit of both. I think they probably have a couple guys with COVID, but they're worried about playing Alabama without the – potential number two draft pick in the upcoming NFL draft, right? And listen, I'm sorry Justin Fields got hurt. Um, it, whatever, I guess it may feel tainted for some people if Justin Fields doesn't play, but Alabama's played with uh, busted up Tua's. We're playing without the Remington Award winner, p- potentially playing without the third receiver off the board in the NFL draft in Jalen Waddle. Dude, you got to nut up and you got to get out there and play. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. We played, we played 12 games. You've played seven. Or eight, or ever how many games you played, you just got to get out there and you got to play, man. Like this, there, I, there's no other way to put it. You just got to suck. You got to suck it up and get out there. I mean, what do you say, Lester? I mean, the excuses are, well, first of all, I think the teams want to play, but the Big Ten commissioner, I think he's the mastermind behind all of this. Um, everything that I've seen, Ryan Day wants to play, Ohio State wants to play. You know, Greg Sankey is on somebody's net, guaranteed that he is, making sure that this game gets played. But the Big Ten commissioner, who's fumbled every single decision regarding his conference and football this entire year, that guy should be nowhere near making decisions for anybody right now. So screw it. Play the game, man. We got to get our our fellow governor, Drew, and his wife down to the game. And get them to see a butt kicking. I don't care who has COVID. I don't care what the issue is. Alabama could come up with just as many issues. Hey, like Jayla said, hey, we're missing our Remington Trophy award uh, <laughs> yeah. winning center. I mean, we're banged up. We're missing folks too. I mean, there's no excuses. Line up, play the game. And Lester, like, like Jayla was saying about Sark, you know, and, and Kyle Flood, but m- mostly Sark because this guy was just hired by one of the biggest name brand college football teams there is. It doesn't matter if they've had some down years in the past. This is traditionally one of the top NCAA football, just recognizable names. Um, like when, when, when I tell, when I say the word Texas, 
you don't think of Texas A&M or Texas Tech. You think of that hook'em horns, and you think of that burnt orange and white. And so, you know, the eyes of Texas are upon you, all that stuff. They're going to pay this guy, what is it, like $6 million a year? And so they're they're sitting over there saying all their boosters are like, hey, coach, you know, I understand that you made a commitment to Coach Saban, but we're trying to pay you double what you're making. And so we need you to go ahead and start working for us. And if this game was to get pushed back and he was to take off, I think Ohio State has a huge advantage. They have a healthy quarterback. And then Alabama's without the Royals award winner. Um, you know, all these guys, they're they're good. Don't get me wrong. Alabama offense is good. But Steve Sarkeesian, he helped them win all those awards. I mean, Alabama's had good offenses in the past. They never had seven award winners um, all on the offensive side of the ball. And so that's a huge contribution from Steve Sarkeesian. That's why he won the Broyles Award. Even though he had all of this talent to work with, he he made them better. I mean, all these offenses out, you know, people talking about, you know, Tua and Judy and Ruggs and Waddle and Devonta was the greatest offense Alabama's ever had. This one's better. And it's because of Steve Sarkeesian. He's, he played a big role in that. I mean, players still have to go out and make plays. But, gosh, we were talking about last week – how many times has Devonta Smith just been running 15 yards behind the defense? I mean, you know, last week against Notre Dame, Jaleel Billington catches the touchdown by himself in the end zone. And um, he just does so many things. So whenever Texas is trying to pay him six, seven million a year, they're not going to, you know, they're going to get really frustrated with him if he has to stay another eight days um, because that's big. You know, I know the early signing day period, a lot of recruits have already signed, but there's some that haven't. And then, you know, Gosh, Nick Saban has already made relationships with sophomores in high school. You know, you got to get over there and start going to see some of these kids or getting on Zoom calls with them um, until the COVID passes just to create relationships with them. So if that happens and then Sark and Flood and Wiggins and whoever else leaves, Alabama's at a huge disadvantage. Um, but, you know, as of now, the, is the playoff committee the ones that had the last say on this, J-Law? Or is it somebody who has the last say on, hey, we're playing this day? I mean, the committee could say if you're not there, you don't play. I mean, you're not you can't win it and you'll forfeit. But I think at the end of the day, it's to me, Ohio State has more power in the Big Ten than the Big Ten commissioner. I think Gene Smith, the athletics director at Ohio State, has more power than Kevin Warren. But at the end of the day, if the Big Ten and Ohio, if the football team in the Big Ten say we're not playing, then they just won't play. Now, I don't think they'll move the date. They don't have a say-so in the date. They can choose if they're going to play. Then the College Football Playoff Committee and Executive Director Bill Hancock, who came out this week and said they're playing on the 11th, or at least they're still planning on doing it, I guess they would have the final say-so. But um, Greg Sankey runs college football right now, guys. And if he says we're playing on the 11th, I think that's probably a final say-so. Is because And he's earned it. Greg Sankey has earned it. He is the best commissioner in football, and there's no doubt. Alabama racks up the awards, the award show Thursday night. Lester, let's start with Najee Harris winning the Dope Walker. We're not going to spend too much time on these, because, but, I mean, you, you have to say a little bit about every player. And I know Devonta Smith won four awards. He's the first player ever to do that, and he's a wide receiver, which makes it even that much more impressive. Let's start with Najee Harris winning the Dope Walker Award. Just talk about what he's done this season and how special it's been. I mean, what a great way to cap off his career 
um, at the University of Alabama. Uh, from a guy who we didn't even know if he was going to come here and just happened to hop on a plane to Birmingham and come on down to Tuscaloosa. From a guy who there were tons of rumors swirling about him transferring because he wasn't playing enough. And look at him now. The guy stuck with it. I can't be more happy. I couldn't, can't be happy for the guy. Um, won the most prestigious award for running back. Should have been up there with his brothers um, for the Heisman, but hey. That's neither here nor there. Um, incredibly proud of what that dude has accomplished in uh, in his career. Love all the hurdles, love all the highlights, and uh, he is certified as one of the best running backs in Alabama football history. Yeah, this guy on a team that featured the Davey O'Brien Award winner and Mac Jones, and then had a receiver that won the Heisman and the Blitkinoff and. Maxwell, Walter Camp Award, AP Player of the Year, and Devonta Smith, and he was still able to produce enough numbers in order to win the Dote Walker Award. You know, usually this award goes to a run-heavy team, a guy that has a bunch of touches, um, a lot of a lot of miles taken off the treads, and and um, and, and he still was just able to produce whenever you know he wasn't necessarily the main guy in this offense but he was still a huge part of it and um you know a guy last year who was debating on whether to go pro or not nobody really knew what he was going to do and he he didn't really come out and make a decision um he was snapchatting or instagram or whatever it was on a story from from california like after classes had started i remember that so we were like okay i guess he's going pro nobody really knew if he was coming back or not he decides to come back and um now i think he solidified himself as the uh as the number one running back that's going to be taken in the draft you know i'm not necessarily sure how high he'll go but i would think maybe towards the end of the first round um a lot like clyde edwards alaire did last year um but, you know, him coming back, and, yeah, everybody was talking about Travis Etienne. He was number one. He was number one. And now I think it's easy to say that Najee Smith – or Najee Smith – that Najee Harris is going to be the first running back taken. Uh, yeah, I definitely think he's the number one off the board. Everybody coming this year, Chuba Hubbard, Etienne. But what I think Najee does what teams need in the NFL. He catches the ball away from his body. It don't have to be in his – Test. It don't have to hit him in the face mask. He's got hands in the open field. I don't think you'll find a better running back than him. Um, he's got wide receiver type moves out there. Uh, a good award for him. And thank God for sorority girls at Alabama because that's why I think that's why Najee came back to to the university. He could have gone pro. Could have been a third round draft pick. I never forget the first picture I saw of Najee back on campus. He was uh, he had some sorority girls on a Snapchat story, and that's how I knew. <laughs> That's how I knew that he was back at Tuscaloosa. Uh, Jayla, we'll stay with you. Talk about Landon Dickerson. He goes down against Florida, tears his knee up, and, uh, of course, he's done for the season. Probably will enter the draft. And, you know, of course, everybody knows seniors can come back. They have that eligibility rule put in place to where seniors can come back. Um, a couple of seniors from around the country have already made their decision to come back, whose season's over. Um, Landon Dickerson, a guy who is not highly ranked, um, he was not high on a lot of people's draft boards for interior linemen coming into the season. Um, people thought of him as just a good offensive lineman. He proved himself to be elite. He wins the Remington Award. Tell me about Landon Dickerson. I think he's on like Barrett Jones status for one of the most uh, beloved offensive linemen to come through Alabama. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, 
how many first round centers? I think Ryan Kelly was the last first round center drafted. So I mean, Alabama's got a chance, had a chance to produce two first round centers in a decade, which uh, is just crazy. Talking about the talent that they have, the coaching that they have. Now with his injury, you don't know if he's going to be a first round pick anymore. Still could get drafted. Does he come back? Uh, he's injury prone, which really hurts him. He's been hurt almost every year that he's played college football with a season-ending injury or a or a nagging injury that's kind of hampered his playing time. But good award for him. Well-deserved. Clearly the best center in football. They're going to miss him in the Ohio State game. But I think he's kind of – from he, he's hit Barrett Jones' beloved status at Alabama. And I never thought I'd see another offensive lineman do that. Go ahead, Lester. Yeah, yeah I – yeah, I agree, man. From a guy last year, I think that none of us were fond of. Um, coming from Florida State, you know, he do things after the play. I know I saw a lot of criticism of him on Twitter about the dirty style that he played. And he was just, you know, he was just an average center back then. But that guy, through uh, his personality was able to show on that little game day segment. And people grew to love him. Through that and his own field antics, I mean, the dude is hilarious. He seems like a big goofball, somebody who's fun, somebody who, you know, you wouldn't mind hanging out with or grabbing a beer with. And tonight on the award show, it was really, really touching to see him bring out all his offensive teammates when he accepted that award. Um, likewise, the same way they came out to meet him on the field when they knew that his knee injury, when it was when they knew it was serious. So, um. That guy loves him in Alabama. His teammates love him. And uh, best wishes to that guy and whatever he decides to do. Alex Leatherwood, Alabama's left tackle. Um, another I didn't mention earlier that Alabama's offensive line as a whole did win the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. Um, Alex Leatherwood said that, you know, that was their goal at the beginning of the season. He wins the Outland Trophy um, for the best lineman in America. Um, just what he did uh, – also coming back, he was another guy that was flirting with it last year. He was a borderline first round, maybe a mid to late second round guy. Um, probably didn't get the grade that he wanted. So he's, he decides to come back along with Devonta and Najee. And um, he's really shot up the draft boards. Um, now you're looking at, you know, almost a surefire first round pick. Um, Lester, talk about what Alex Leatherwood's done in his career at Alabama. Well, first of all, Chase thinks that this guy's my doppelganger, um, which is kind of <laughs> entertaining. But the guys came in, dominated, kept his head to the grindstone, worked his tail off, and it's paid off. It's paid off. The guy won the best offensive lineman in America. That guy's going to be a bona fide NFL stud, um, like his former teammate, Jared, uh, Jared, Jedrick Willis with the Browns. So, Looking forward to see what that guy's going to do on the next level because he has some serious talent and some teams going to be really lucky to have him. Jayla, what you got to say on Alex? Glad he came back. We would have been looking for somebody, maybe Pierce Quick or Amari Knight, to play uh, right tackle this year because Neil would have slid over. Uh, you don't, you wouldn't know what you were getting. Alex said it was dominant, clear first-round draft pick. Uh, first or second offensive tackle off the board. I still think uh, the guy from Oregon gets drafted as the first OT off the board. But, man, dominant. He had great bookend tackles with 
with Neil and Leatherwood this year, you're going to miss Alex Leatherwood next year. Yeah, um, Mac Jones wins the Davy O'Brien Award. Devonta Smith racks up four awards, including the Heisman Trophy. Talk about what these two did just together, because and, and I put them together. We talked about the other ones individually, but I wanted to put these two together just because they complemented each other. Mac couldn't do it without Devonta. Devonta couldn't do it without Mac. So, Lester, t- tell me what you think about Mac and Smitty and what they've been able to do this year and all the awards that they racked up and how special it is. It's special to see those guys put up stats and thrive together. Um, when was the last time we, there was a combo like that to win the Davy Award or win the Blitten Call? Um, I'm not sure. That would be something really interesting to look up. But these guys, they thrive together. And not just those two eight, everyone eight. Najee, all the other guys, but what Mac. And Smitty had that was special. That was some Peyton Manning, Marvin Lewis, um, wow, some of the other great combos in the NFL history. And those guys, they they had something special, and they were on the same wavelength constantly. You never really saw a mix up between those two, and when they linked up, it was dynamite. J Law. Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. Uh, what you got with Mac Jones this year, I think it to- tells you a lot about Mac. Also tells you a lot of the greatness about Alabama's offensive coordinator turning Mac Jones into a Heisman Trophy finalist. And if he's not, if Devontae doesn't win it and the votes kind of aren't all for Devontae off an Alabama player, you know, Mac Jones could easily be uh, a Heisman Trophy winner right now. So, man, this whole team, guys, uh, if they don't win it, and you look at the awards, this could be the, the one of the biggest letdowns I've ever had. Yeah, and what, what I like about these two and what's special to me, what I'll always remember, is the fact that when they both came in, um, they understood that they had a hell of a lot of competition and they had a lot in front of them. I mean, Devonta, he was ranked high. He really was. He was, I think, number 62 overall player in the country. He was a high four-star, but – you had Jerry Judy on the roster, Henry Ruggs, um, and then, you know, Devonta's sophomore year came in, Jalen Waddle, and he immediately, you know, didn't outshine, but he hit, all the attention went on him. You have this young, hotshot freshman who's got crazy speed. And so Devonta, he's just – all he did was quietly put up the best career in Alabama football history for a receiver. And everybody knows about the second 26 catch, but – other than that, it was all, all all the the focus was always on Judy and and Henry Ruggs and then Jalen Waddle got a lot of it and I mean I guess a lot of people don't even remember the two two hundred seventy five yard game and five touchdowns against Ole Miss in twenty eighteen um, Devonta's sophomore year I and mean, that was phenomenal and uh, and and so or was that last year that was last year twenty nineteen sorry about that. But, um, yeah, and, you know, Mac Jones being, like, a sub-400 overall recruit, I mean, nobody thought of this guy at all. He was – you know, we all thought of him as the backup that wouldn't transfer because he just wants to be a part of the team. He just wants to get a ring. And so it's good that we didn't go out and get another five-star to come in with Tua because we all knew Tua was going to eventually take over the team. And, you know, Matt would be there as a backup in case Tua got hurt. Then all of a sudden, boom, this guy's a Heisman finalist, and he has a shot to, to win a national championship, and he's a Davey O'Brien award winner. But what I love about these two is that, you know, their story, they were 
they were overlooked, so to speak. I mean, Devonta had a crowded receiving room, and then Matt came in with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungvalu on the roster and just bought his time and stayed patient and kept working. And um, now they're both going to be more than likely NFL first-round picks, and they're going to be very rich. Um, so really proud of all the award winners for Alabama. And I was trying to explain it to my wife. I was like, look, it's it's an honor to have, like, one guy win an award. <laughs> and Alabama fans are sitting here upset that Will Riker didn't win the Lou Groza Award and Patrick Sertain didn't win the, the Jim Thorpe Award. And uh, so, you know, Alabama had – they won, like, seven awards or something like that, and they could have easily won nine out of 15. Um, but but uh, very impressive to see um, what Alabama was able to do in the award show with all the offensive talent and credit to, to Steve Sarkeesian. We wish him the best at the University of Texas after the national championship game. Heading over to the Plains, Brian Harson has started to put together his staff at Auburn University. Um, he's bringing guys from Boise ties. He brings in Derek Mason, the former Vanderbilt head coach, to be his defensive coordinator. Um, Mike Bobo, who's just the offensive coordinator of South Carolina under Will Muschamp. Um, Will Muschamp got fired. Uh, Jeff Pittman from Boise State to be the strength and conditioning coach. Spencer Danielson to um, to be the defensive line and be uh, he was a co-offensive or co-defensive coordinator at Boise State, and then a linebackers coach from Boise as well, along with Will Friend from the University of Tennessee. Jalen, just tell it to me. Is this what are the good hires that have been made? What are the bad hires? What do you give Brian Harson's staff? You know, what grade do you give them overall so far? Woke up this morning, turned on the radio. People were hiring Derek Mason and Mike Bopo as offensive coordinators. Check my calendar. Holy, holy crap, it's 2007. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's 07, baby. You've got the Derek Mason's one of the best defensive binds in the game. Listen, guys, it ain't 2011 anymore. Though that, there's like Muschamp to Texas rumors, Derek Mason, Charlie Strong. There's a reason these dudes aren't getting or aren't really thought of as the best minds and defensive minds in college football anymore because they haven't stopped the spread since the spread really hit college football in 2012. It's been a decade since these guys have coached a quality defensive game. And, hey, Brian Harson, dude, he's loading up on him. He's got Mike Bobo, who can't get an offense in the top 60. He's got Derek Mason, who is still probably a good defensive coach, don't get me wrong, but this is a league of offenses. You get, everybody knows that Boise State's players are bigger, faster, stronger, more physical than anybody else in the country. So they bring in the strength and conditioning coach from over there. Um, friend is probably the best of all the hires. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good OL coach. But uh, I'm looking around and I'm saying, okay, six and six, seven and five. They definitely don't have anybody to throw to next year. Everybody's going to everybody's going to hate. Mike Bobo, why are you taking this job, dude? You're going to have to go to the portal. You don't have anybody to throw to. Everybody's going to hate you in a, in, a, in a college football that we're in now where everybody scores 40. You're going to average 22 a game. <laughs> Goodness gracious, I love it. Lester, we've, we've talked about Auburn having the fourth best roster in their division, and then they have to play Georgia every year. So, you know, that's five teams – 
are four teams that have better rosters than them. So basically, if you beat everybody else, and Ole Miss is debatable, to be honest with you. I mean, now that Eli Stove, Anthony Schwartz, and Seth Williams have all declared for the draft, they're not coming back. Um, Bo Nix has nobody to throw to. He's probably the main reason that they decided to forego their remaining eligibility. But, man, you know, every, everybody's talking about how this guy's got to win nine or ten games to hang around. And there's just there's just no way. Uh, I mean, it's just you bring in three Boise State guys, group of five coaches that are used to the Mountain West Conference, and you expect them to to recruit and out recruit Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, Ed O, Jimbo Fisher, Dan Mullen if he stays. Um, so what do, what do you think of, of this staff that he's putting together? Do you agree with it? Do you, do you, what hires do you like? Which ones do you dislike? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a grade. And right now, it is about a C-. minus. The only reason it's not lower is because the 2021 season hasn't started yet, and we have not – we've yet to see what that version of the Auburn Tigers will be. Um, it, I, I don't know. Auburn is on the verge of becoming the Tennessee of the SEC West. It's gonna happen. I don't. I, with 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 the usual bottom feeders, like not bottom feeders, but Ole Miss, Miss State, Texas A and M, Alabama. They're not. Auburn's not gonna beat those teams next year. With the offense that those teams have, with Derek Mason as your defense coordinator, poor guy. Oh my gosh! Imagine Kiffin hanging fifty on top of his head. They're going to run him out of there. I, I I, just – I don't see it. And when Bo Nix still is your quarterback, what are you going to do? There's nowhere for this team to turn to to be like, hey, that's a bright spot for us. We can build our team around this. Nowhere. It's not your quarterback. It's not your defense. They got Tank. I, they got Bigsby. Yeah, you got yeah, he's, yeah, Tank. He's Come on, best quarterback is Herschel Walker. Oh, yeah. oh, wait, I forgot. Dang, Auburn has a great kicker. You can build your team around the kicker, around the special teams unit. Auburn should lead with that going into the season. <laughs> number one special teams unit in the country. Build your team around that because it dang sure ain't the offense or the defense. Yeah, I hope they got a good punter because he might be getting some work, right? Right guy or winner, whoever the punter is at Auburn. <laughs> Take it to Vegas. I mean, Lester, we we know how Auburn fans work. We know that nobody loves to hype more than Auburn fans. I mean, Jeremy Johnson, J-Law's favorite saying in the world, Jeremy Johnson can throw a ball through a car wash and not get it wet. Um, we'll revisit that old line. Uh, it's a classic. But uh, it's – Auburn fans, you know, they're they're not going to say anything negative. I mean, they're, they're trying to look for anything and grab it and hold on to it, anything positive that they can. So they think that Mike Bobo and Derek Mason are good hires. I don't think Derek Mason's a bad hire. They could have definitely done worse. Um, I think they could have also done better. But I do like the fact that they hired Will Friend. He's recruited the SEC for a decade, you know, being at Georgia and, and Tennessee. Um, and probably a good decision to get out of Tennessee while he still can. Um, because Jeremy Pruitt is doing some cheating over there that he might get the axe sooner rather than later. Um, a lot of people have been saying that around Knoxville, but um, it's just as an Auburn fan, if if you're an Auburn fan and you know how they think, you know their expectations. We talked about this before. 
how long do you give Brian Harson? Is he somebody that, you know, in two years, if he wins 13 ball games, if he goes six and six next year and then seven and five the year after, is he getting, you know, is he, are there some rumblings going on about him getting fired? Or do you think that he's got a blanket to where he's going to get four or five years out of this deal and they're going to give him time to rebuild? Oh, oh, as soon as he has a, 66 in the season. As soon as the next hot shot coach comes up that they think that they can hire, uh, similar to like Hugh Freeze this year, oh, he's on the hot seat from day one, I feel like. Because you got to think about it. You got to think about it. Auburn, they paid Gus Malzahn $21 million to go mind his business wherever in the world he wants to be. And as an Auburn fan, surely you want a guy that does better than Gus, right? This isn't a rebuilding situation. Not 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 Auburn. Not on the plains. Never. This guy's supposed to come in and at minimum do exactly or better than what Gus gave them. So no, this guy he's coming to Auburn. They better get some SEC championships. They better beat Alabama. They better do something. Yeah, unless you're right. This ain't a, This is not. This is a rebuild. Just don't tell that to anybody on the uh, east side of the state, right? Lester and I were playing COD with a well-known Auburn fan that we all know no, a bit. And, say he, and and he said, Mike Bobo, that doesn't really impress me. And I say, man, who did you think Brian Harson was bringing in? He's not bringing in a Sark or a Kiffin or this. This is he is he has a group of five circle. He has a guy who's never coached power five football. He doesn't. He does. He's not in this circle. And so now you're taking a team that Seth Williams. Um, uh, Anthony Schwartz, all these guys, they're all gone. Your quarterback's average. You haven't recruited a true offensive tackle in four years. Jacoby McLean and Owen Papo are coming back. Derek Mason will have a couple guys to coach. That are good players. I mean, Jacoby McLean led the team in tackles. Um, maybe the SEC in tackles this year, too. But, I mean, it was all over the field. Like, what, where I, – I just don't see it. This, this staff doesn't say – we're going to go from what Gus has been doing over the last few years, eight and four, to seven and fives, to, okay, now this is the staff. Mike Bobo is the guy that's going to take Bo Nix from being a 53% passer to 72% with 150 more yards a game and a much better uh, TD to INT ratio. I just don't see it. I just don't. Like, who did they think they were going to get? When you hire Brian Harson? this isn't Urban Meyer at Utah. He's kind of like Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson never wowed me either, turned Boise into a group of five powerhouse. They've stayed that way for a decade. Eh, you know, this is the SEC, man. This is, and it ain't the Pac-12, this ain't out west. And he's playing. Let's, look what Ed O, Chase, you said it before we started the pot. Look what Ed O did with his staff. And look what Brian Horson did with his. You tell me who's got the, rank, rank the staffs, Chase. Who's got, I mean, Alabama, <laughs> Georgia. I mean, there's a lot better football programs and a lot better staffs than what Brian Harson's putting together right now, and those programs have more talent. And that's the thing is, you're you know you're you're in a conference now where you have to play those teams every year. It's not like you know you got to go play Alabama the opening game in 2021, and then you go back to the Mountain West or the Pac-12 or whatever. You you've got to play these teams year in and year out, and these recruiting battles that they've already they already have such an advantage on you they have these relationships with the juniors in high school for the 2023 class um you know they have so many advantages and 
even though their staffs might not stay the same, you know, like Alabama's will fluctuate from year to year, the head man's still there. And as long as the head man's still there, he's going to get recruits. He's going to get basically who he wants mostly every year. Um, and so now you come in, your roster has gotten worse. Um, your defense is not terrible. They're average. I don't think they're above that, or I don't think they're good. They might be slightly above average, depending on, you know, what Derek Mason does with them and the system that he brings in. But uh, the offense is atrocious. you got a quarterback that's skittish. Your offensive line sucks. You've got three receivers that's basically got to do it all himself. But once you're down 21 to three, you can't run the ball. You can't, you can't, I mean, you, you turn into a one-dimensional team when you've got it, when you're playing from behind and you've got to get back in games in the second half. And so, you know, your roster's worse than Texas A&M and Georgia and Alabama and LSU and maybe Ole Miss, who's on your schedule every year. There's five. So now if you don't beat the teams that you're not supposed to beat, now you're looking at seven and five. If on paper you have five teams on your schedule that are better than you, you have to beat two of those teams to get to nine and three. And if you can't do that consistently at Auburn, you're out. That's asking a lot. This is not an easy place to coach. Everybody talks about how it's a great job. It's not. It's not an easy place because you're behind in facilities. He's way behind in recruiting. Gosh, he's, he's about to bring in a, you know, a top 40 recruiting class, um, maybe, depending on who he, who he signs, if he signs anybody late. But, I mean, it's just – it's not going to be an easy road. And – what makes it worse for Auburn fans is Alabama's not slowing down. You look in the wings, you got Bryce Young, Alabama just signed four of the top nine receivers out of high school. They're just going to reload, even though they're losing all these award winners and all these seniors and some juniors that'll go pro. But man, everybody knows what they do over there. So while Alabama's sitting here, going to be in the playoff probably three of the next four years, this guy's going seven and five, can't get it done on the recruiting trail because he's got a group of five staff and you know, it's just I don't see I don't see it. And that's just coming from a, a realistic point of view. I'm not looking through crimson and white glasses. I'm not looking through orange and blue glasses. I'm trying to just step back and see what this looks like as a whole. And when you have a roster that's in the position that it is, when you have the recruiting class that you have coming in, and when you have the staff that you've put in place, I mean, look at Steve Sarkeesian. He's going to Texas. Boom. He goes and gets Bo Davis. He's taking Kyle Flood, um, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in college football. He's taking Holman Wiggins, a really good young receivers coach. Um, is is that all he's hired? He's he's looking at Will Muschamp for a defense coordinator, who I don't I don't agree uh, with. That. He's looking at Pete Golding right now. That's rumors are breaking while we're on. Yeah, they are, yeah, there there are rumors that Pete Golding could go. Um, I'll help pack his bags if that's the situation because if Jeremy Pruitt gets the axe to Tennessee, I got a good feeling of where he'll be looking to go for a rehab stint. But, uh, you know, Steve Sarkis just put together a hell of a staff at Texas, and then we talked about Ed Orgeron, you know, going and getting a Joe Brady guy um, to, to run his offense, a young offensive mind. And um, he's just – I mean – I just I, – I don't see it. Brian Harson's got a lot of work to do, and he is at a place where, you know, like, like J-Law said, if you don't win more than the previous coach, then they're, they're going to they're gonna ax you too. And, uh, and that's going to be very, very hard to do. You basically got to beat, you know, 40% of Ole Miss, Bama, A&M, LSU, and Georgia who are going to have 
<clears throat> if not the same, then a better roster than you year in and year out. Um, podcast has gone a little bit longer than expected. I mean, we decided not to talk about the Natty. We're going to do another pod. Um, we're going to record it Sunday night, probably release it Monday, hopefully, the day of the national championship game preview in that. Um, we just wanted to talk about the award winners, Notre Dame game, and um, Clemson, Ohio State, and the COVID situations and all the stuff that we've covered. Last thing before we go, Lester, right now, if you had to hire somebody as the offensive coordinator to replace Steve Sarkeesian in Alabama, who would it be? Wow, the offensive coordinator. Yikes. I don't know. Is Eric Bienemy available? <laughs> I know he's looking for some NFL jobs right now. Um, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. Uh, We've got Bill O'Brien, who's in Tuscaloosa. You know, the yeah. former former Texans head coach. He's a head coach at Penn State. I think in 2015 yeah, I did not want to retread offensive court, NFL offensive coordinator at all. That's what Sark was. That's what Sarkeesian well, was. But he, he was a college coach, so I mean from USC well, so to Washington. Uh yeah, Penn State, yada yada. What I don't want is somebody who's looking to leave after a year or two. No, the next guy, he's gonna come in, he's gonna put up four hundred yards, he's gonna put up a he's gonna have a Maxwell winning quarterback. He may have a Blitnikoff receiver and boom. Leave. I don't want that, but that's let's, 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 anyway. Bro, it ain't hurt as shit. Now it has it hurts with Kiffin. I get it. Kiffin it hurts the natty. Exactly. But from a system perspective, dude, it has it hasn't hurt us. I think Nick Saber's a genius. You're gonna you're telling me that you can keep a, a staff around of a Huff and some other guys. Um, I know you're losing Flood, but Alabama's kept offensive line coaches for a pretty good time in the past. I mean, you're telling me you can bring in I, I I think I'm not so sure about Bill O'Brien or Adam Gacy's or either. I'm not I'm not Nick Saban, but you can bring those guys in, let them coach for two years. Clearly, they got to the NFL as a head coach for a reason. They they know how to coach football, and you can win a couple natties or make a couple college football playoff pushes with those guys, and you can keep a good recruiting staff around them. I I think he's kind of genius. I used to hate this. Now I'm just thinking it's such a machine, plug and play with a good play caller and quarterbacks coach, and let's hit the road running again. JL, let me ask you real quick. Do you, do you think, and this might be a crazy question to some people listening out there, but if you really think about it, do you think Nick Saban enjoys this? Because he is a defensive-minded guy. There is a lot that he knows about the defensive side of the football. There's so much about the spread that he has no idea about. And if you look at, I mean, Kiffin, you know, you saw a deep ball offense with Blake Sims and then a lot of hitch routes. And then with Jalen, you had the, the side to side, a lot of quarterback runs at the middle. Um, and then, you know, Kiffin had the run heavy offense with Derrick Henry. And um, then, you know, Loxley with the RPOs. And now, you know, Sark with the pro style play action, throw the ball downfield. I mean, Saban has had so many different offenses and, do you think that he enjoys maybe bringing a guy in every every two years and just to just to learn from him and pick his brain? Because the more he learns about offense, the more he can study about how to stop it whenever he faces an offense. Because I, if you really watch Ohio State, they are Alabama. They predicate themselves on winning in the trenches with a power run game. They'll throw in more quarterback runs than Alabama will, more read stuff, power read stuff. Um, but also when they throw the ball, man, they want to throw it down field and uh, so it's a lot of what Alabama does and maybe C. Sarkeesian running this type of offense has helped 
Nick Saban and prepping for this national championship game. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big smash mouth spread. The what Herman runs, what Yursic runs, what Sark ran. Listen, Sark ran the smash mouth spread, counters, traps, uh, win it in the trenches, throw it deep, play action, have a good running game. Like that's, I feel like that's say, Alvin was there with Kiffin. They really were there, smash mouth spread with Kiffin. Very versatile Kiffin was. Then you got to Loxley, and it was soft. And I think we'd all agree Loxley was soft. You come back with Sark, and you're you're backing the the, the smash mouth spread using the weapons that you have. When you had Josh Jacobs, when you had uh, um, you have Najee, you had these guys over the last few years. Devontae, it doesn't matter. Get the playmakers the ball. And I think Saban's looking for that this Steve Sarkeesian style of the spread, the NFL. Pro spread, play action, win the trenches. I think Tom Herman brings that to the table. I really do. Look what Tom Herman was doing against Ohio State. And all these guys are versatile, by the way. It isn't like they're just stuck in a playbook. They're going to run stuff that Saban, sorry, Lester, likes to run. And they're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to be a part of the book. But Herman, O'Brien, Gase, Yersich, um, some of these other guys' names that have been thrown out there, they all run that Steve Sarkeesian NFL pro-style spread. And it wins games. And I think Saban does like it. And I also like Saban. I think Saban likes Sark because Sark controlled the ball this year. And when Sark had to score, he scored. When Sark wanted to put a drive together, he put a drive together. And I think Saban's in love with that. Yeah, just wish Bryce would have gotten a couple more, couple more attempts. Am I right? Absolutely. We all <laughs> hey. Yeah. Credit to Mac Jones. We thought Bryce was going to be. We thought Bryce was going to be the starter all year long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have some takes in the offseason, yeah. boy. I'm telling you, yeah, they're flying. But, uh, yeah, the Mac, the Mac lovers are definitely letting us know about it now, especially J-Law. I think he gets ragged on Twitter just about it's every been week. A, it's been a tough season for me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just celebrate a natty in a couple of days, and it'll make up for everything. But, uh, yeah, like I said, there will be another um, podcast um, that will probably, probably be – released on the day of the national championship we'll get back on here we're going to record it sunday night but um for this week episode 17 chase thornton jeremy law lester mitchell 2020 gun podcast we're out